today's video, we will have made our way exactly halfway through Mark's gospel. There's only 16 chapters, and right now we are in Mark chapter 8. Let's see what we can learn from this chapter about Jesus. Let's look at this first story from the first 10 verses of Mark chapter 8. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had given the seven loaves and given thanks, when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmathuna. This passage right here, it seems like it might be pretty familiar to us. It seems like maybe we just covered this. Well, okay, flip back to the previous chapter, and you won't find the exact same thing, but, you know, if you flip back a, a, a page more, probably, literally, I just have to flip back one page in my Bible, and I see this passage from Mark chapter 6 that says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's almost the same miracle that we see right here. This time, there are some differences. The numbers of the fish, the numbers of the loaves, they're different. The number of the people, it's different. However, feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000, it doesn't matter. I've never uh, taken part in, in feeding that many people at all, much less by some miraculous means like what Jesus is doing. It's the same type of miracle. There are a few differences, though, that's just kind of interesting. Um, it seems that most of the people... Um, who would have been um, made up of, of the group before whenever there was 5,000 people. Seems like most of those would have been uh, Jewish people, and maybe this group would have been even Gentile people. So, you know, if that's what's going on there, which, you know, maybe maybe that is kind of what's going on, but maybe that's maybe I'm reading too much into that. But if that is what's going on, then what we see here is another one of these passages where Jesus is showing he's not just for the, the Jewish people, he's also for the Gentiles as well. He's for all the different nations. Um, whatever the case with that, what we do learn about Jesus is, look at verse 2. He has compassion for these people. He cares about these people. He cares about them because they've been traveling with him and they don't have food. And he doesn't want anything bad to happen to them. So he ends up feeding them before sending them away. This is like the, the type of situation that Jesus' ministry would just kind of yield to these situations that he would have crowds of thousands of people following him around. Wouldn't that have been amazing to be in, in that crowd and to experience some of these things? Jesus cares about these large numbers of people. After all, Jesus cares about the entire world, doesn't he? He most certainly cares about us today. So this passage, we see that he has compassion on these people and he meets that need and he does the same type of miracle that he's done before. Keep in mind, he's done this miracle twice now. There's more, though. Verses 11 through 13. 
The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. I am amazed, and not in a good way, that the Pharisees are coming to him and they're wanting this sign. I mean, look at verse 11. Jesus has just fed a, a group of multiple thousands of people. This is the second time he's done it. And the Pharisees, they, they have the, I guess I'll call it hard-heartedness, to come up to Jesus and say, can you just give us a sign? I like how Mark says, he sighed deeply. Have you ever been there? You know, maybe you've kind of, uh, maybe you've experienced this with your own kids before. You know, you thought you had it all laid out exactly how you're going to explain this, this uh, very important thing to them. And then you get to the end, and then they just look at you and they're like, but what about this thing? And you're just like, oh, I've been explaining that this whole time. And then you ask that question. Now, you know, normally we don't really say that to them. I don't know. Maybe you've been in that situation where you, you have said that to them before. Uh, you know, my, my kids are still young. So most of the time, if they have, if they have questions, uh, you know, I, I recognize that, okay, they're still trying to process all these things. Now, whenever they get older, I'm sure I'm going to have that moment that I'm just like, I've just been telling you this. Are you not listening? And here, that's what Jesus is doing. He's just shown them this sign and they ask, okay, so uh, can you give us a sign? You know, just, just anything. He's given them multiple signs. He, he has shown them who he is. That's why I think that Jesus responds with this statement here in, in verse 12. He says, why does this generation ask for a sign? No sign will be given to it. Well, he's kind of already given them signs. So, I mean, I, I guess one way of taking what Jesus is saying is, look, if you can't see the handwriting on the wall, so to speak, you're not going to be able to see any signs. And, and, and I guess that's maybe how Jesus is saying that right here. Uh, also, if you look at you know, kind of some parallel passages of where Jesus says the same type of thing, um, he does say that, that uh, one sign will be given, that's the sign of Jonah, and he relates that to his own death, burial, and resurrection. And, you know, that's kind of going to be the, the sign that he gives them. Um, however you kind of want to look at this, I think that Jesus is sort of saying all of this together. He's saying, look, if you can't see the signs in front of you, you're not going to be able to see any signs. And then he just leaves this group because they're not really seeking him. The ones who are truly seeking God, they're going to see he is from God. Now, I say that, and sometimes it's still a process. Let's keep reading. Verses 14 through 21 now. Now we're going to see one of these struggles from the disciples themselves. And maybe this passage, uh, maybe it gives us hope. I guess that's one way of looking at it. But let's read it together. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, 
do you still not understand? So now it's not the Pharisees that have this question. Now it's his own disciples that, you know, he starts talking about this bread and he's using this, this, uh, this metaphor, if you will, in verse 15. He's talking about, watch out for this yeast of the Pharisees. He's not talking about bread. And they start thinking about bread. I mean, it's like they, they, just, they just missed it. Isn't that how we are sometimes, though? I mean, maybe we don't always really notice it at the time, or maybe we don't ever notice it. But I think that sometimes we are like this, that we're just like those disciples, that we, we see the teachings of Jesus right in front of us, and for whatever reason, uh, we miss it. And, and right here, he's actually asking some, some very important questions. You know, he's like, look, you got eyes, but are you using them? You got ears, are you using those? And he says, are your hearts hardened? He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to his own disciples. This is a lesson for us. Yes, it gives us hope that, you know, they had problems. And if they had problems and Jesus still worked with them, Jesus will have mercy on us too. And I think that's a good thing to get from this story. But I also think that we can see, look, they're humans. Jesus knows they're human. We are humans. Jesus knows that we are human. But it's still important to ask these questions. Are we able to see, you know, have our hearts been hardened? Are we open, opening our eyes and seeing with it? Are we opening our ears and listening to what Jesus is saying? Do we remember these things that he's done? I mean, look at these miracles. You know, to us, okay, we see this, they experienced it. They experienced feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, okay? God's got this. Jesus is in control. But how many times in our own lives we're thinking, oh, well, uh, what, what am I going to do about this thing or, or that thing? Don't you remember the way that Jesus provided in this situation? He's going to provide in another one. He's told us to not worry about these physical needs that we might have. These needs will be met. If we seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things are going to be met. All these other uh, problems are going to work themselves out. We need to remember we need to make sure that our hearts are soft and not hard. We need to make sure that we open our eyes, open our ears, and pay attention to what God is doing in our midst. Let's make sure that we understand it. Let's make sure that we learn from it. Now, verses 22 through 26. Jesus was just talking about to his own disciples, you know, look, do you have eyes, but you're not able to see? Now we literally see a guy who has eyes, but he can't see. And I think that what we see right here is we see another miracle of Jesus and show he's got power. But we also see kind of a visual illustration of what the disciples have been doing in a spiritual way. But now it's, it's a physical uh, illustration of that very same thing. Verses 22 through 26. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Now this passage right here, uh, maybe there's another explanation for this, and, and maybe, maybe in the future my eyes will be open and I'll be able to share something, uh, something deeper about this passage. This is the only miracle that I'm really aware of that Jesus kind of he does, but the first time he does it, um, I don't think it's really the best way to say that he messes up because obviously you know I don't really think that Jesus messes up, but he doesn't do it fully. 
So I don't know if I have the greatest explanation for why he doesn't fully go ahead and, and do the miracle properly, so to speak. I don't know. This is what we see. He, he does this miracle, then he asks the man, do you see anything? And the man says, I see people, but they look like they're trees walking around. I don't know why the guy exactly responds like that, but obviously the miracle hasn't worked fully. It takes a little bit more time for one reason or another. As of right now, my explanation to you as to why this man was not able to see you know, fully instantly the first time, my explanation is this is a physical demonstration of what the disciples are acting out spiritually. This man, he has eyes he can't see. Even after Jesus does the miracle, and he should be able to see for whatever reason he still can't see. He still has eyes, but he can't see. The disciples are doing the same thing spiritually. They have eyes to see. They're seeing all these things right in front of them, but they're just failing to really understand it. They're failing to really put these things together and to understand that Jesus is in their midst. He's got this power. He's got all things under control. They need to trust in him and just continue to rely upon him. They have their own questions. They have their own, their own, uh, uh, you know, ideas about these things and, and stuff. And and really, I guess they don't have the the right ideas about these things. But this man's sight, Jesus works with him, and he's still patient with him, and he fully restores this man's sight. And I believe that he can also fully restore our sight. Now, maybe maybe that doesn't even happen in this life. Maybe our eyes will never be fully open in this life. I do think that there are some things that we won't understand this side of death. But in the life that is to come, I believe there will, there will be some things that we understand maybe more clearly than what we can understand in this life. And maybe that's another way as to, to why this man is kind of seeing this, seeing, but he's not seeing completely clearly. And maybe that's an illustration for us that we see right now, but we don't see like we will in the future someday. It will be, uh, our eyes will be open even more so to what God is doing in our midst. Whatever the case, a miracle is done here. The, the uh, power of Jesus is not questioned. Jesus is in control. Uh, and I know that I've said that several times in this chapter, but I mean, that, that's what Mark is, is telling us. Mark is telling us that, look, the Messiah, Jesus, he's come. Okay, and he's doing all these things that he's supposed to be doing. And he's helping people in all these different ways. He has compassion on the people. He has love upon the people. And he's doing these, these miracles, these signs in their midst. And he's showing them a better way. He's teaching them a better way. And he wants to, to, to see, are they catching on to it? Are, are they fully understanding these things that he's teaching? That's why in the next few verses, he turns to his disciples and he asks them a question. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So he asked this question, who do people say I am? I want you to think about that. Who do people say that Jesus is today, okay, in our day? I mean, you know, sometimes people just say, oh, well, you know, he was a good teacher. He was a good person. You know, maybe they, they might even say he was a prophet. Yeah, they, they might say all those things. But who was he really? That's what this, that's what this book is about. That's what all the, the different gospels that we have in the Bible, that's what they're all answering this question is, 
who is Jesus? And then Jesus, he turns this question personal and he applies it to them. And in verse 29, he says, what about you, though? Who do you say that I am? And I think that we've got to come to a point in our own spiritual walk with God that we ask that question. Okay, so what about you? So I, I guess I guess I'm asking that question of you, and you can be asking the question of me. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Now it's personal. You've got to really think about it. You've got to answer it. In fact, maybe you know if you're watching this video with some other people, uh, you know you you might you might just kind of pause the video right here, and you might just just ask and have a little bit of a discussion as to who Jesus is. Because what I find is, if you ask that question, which by the way, I've, I've asked that in a few different uh, Bible classes and things like that. When you ask that question of who, who Jesus is, and you go around the room, of course a lot of people are going to answer with some of the same things. Okay, I get that. But you can still learn something about these other people's faith that they have in Jesus. And we all kind of, we all kind of look at Jesus uh, at, at different points in our lives. We look at him and we kind of rely upon and lean upon different aspects of him. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is our Lord. All of these things are true. The, the response that Peter gives is, you are the Messiah. And you might be wondering, why did Jesus not just, you know, answer that? Well, there's a few different reasons. You know, maybe it was something to do with kind of the culture in which he lived. And he just went around announcing that he was the Messiah to everybody. I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have been received very well. Jesus does what he does and when he does it for a reason. He, he's got a purpose behind everything that he does. And right here, he doesn't want them telling this message out. He wants them to know it. He wants them to know the correct answer that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not ready to, for people to tell about him. But now things have changed. Now we can openly proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah because Jesus has already proved he's the Messiah He's already done everything that he was supposed to do as the Messiah, and now he's sitting at the right hand of our Heavenly Father. Jesus is the Messiah, and it's a message that we need to be proclaiming even today. But that Messiah that uh, they were expecting might be a little different than the Messiah that they actually got. Sometimes that's what God does for us. Sometimes the things that we receive from God are not always what we might expect but they are what we need. The Messiah that they needed was gonna do things like this. Verses 31 through 33. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This message of what the Messiah was going to do, the Son of Man, he must suffer. Well, that doesn't sound good. And then he's going to be killed, but he's going to rise up from the dead. That's just confusing. And maybe that's why Jesus didn't want them openly saying that he's the Messiah, because it was just going to be confusing. It was confusing enough for the actual followers of Jesus, much less for everybody else. But, you know, we, we, of course, now we've kind of pieced these, these, uh, these puzzle pieces together and we recognize a more clear picture. Now, I say that we've pieced it together. Let's face it, we've got the New Testament that pieces so many of these things together for us. So, you know, we see the more complete picture than what they, they saw then. 
To them, they weren't thinking that Messiah was going to, to come and suffer and then, then be killed and then rise again. They weren't thinking about those things in their mind. To them, they thought, oh, the Messiah is going to come and bring freedom, which he did. But he brought it in a very different way. And so many things about Jesus was different than what they expected. But it's exactly what they needed. It's He was exactly what we needed. And then Peter, he does what we oftentimes kind of do. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't have his mind right right here. What he had in mind was he was just thinking about these human concerns, these human things. And he, he's telling him, you know, look, that, that's not how it, it, it's going to be. But it was. Jesus had to do these things. And he did. That's why he told, that's why he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You know, he was the one who was being uh, an, an adversary, one who was opponent uh, of Jesus. Because Jesus knew what he had to do. And, but Peter right here, he didn't have in mind the concerns of God. He was just thinking like a human being. Sometimes we might find ourselves like that. Sometimes we might need to recognize, look, we've got to be concerned about godly things, not just human things. And what that looks like in our life is like this. Verses 34 through 38 now. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And with that, we end this chapter. And we see that that Jesus is, is telling them, okay, he is the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to suffer, going to be killed, but he's going to raise up from the dead. But what does that mean for the followers of Jesus? Well, if we want to be a follower of Jesus, then what he says here in verses 34, actually it's all in verse 34, is that, look, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to deny yourself. You know, there, there's three things. It's a wonderful sermon, you know, if you kind of uh, are... Uh, uh, are wanting to, to see a sermon. And I don't know, maybe I've even preached this sermon before here. I, I can't really think about it off the top of my head. But, you know, being a disciple, it means that you will deny yourself. That's one of the first things. You, you've got to deny yourself. And you've got to, to think not just about human stuff, but about godly things. you got to take up your cross. And to us, you know, we think about a cross, you know, maybe we've seen a little cross necklace or something like that. We think about it as jewelry, you know, earrings or something like that. And I'm not, I'm not being critical about that. I'm just saying, you know, to us, a cross is very different than what a cross meant during their day. A cross during their day was, that's, that, that meant death for you. You know, that was a way that the Roman government brought out punishment for criminals. So what Jesus is saying is, take up their cross. That, that has to do with death. You know, that we need to follow him to the point of our death. So we must deny ourselves, we must take up our cross, and we must follow Jesus. That's what being a disciple looks like. And we find out some things about it here. You know, we've got to get our priorities straight. You know, what does it mean if you gain the entire world, everything you could possibly want, but if you lose your own soul in, in, the, in the process, what is it really worth? Not a whole lot of all. Uh, not a whole lot at all.
in this world. And then Jesus also tells us something that we need to, to take to heart. Verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Have you ever been ashamed of Jesus? There have been some times in my life that perhaps I've not been as bold as what I should have been. Make sure that we pray for one another for this boldness so that we will not be ashamed to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. I also want us to just look now at the, the first verse of the next chapter. That first verse, and I know this is kind of a, a little confusing, but I feel like it's still connected to them, uh, to, to uh, what we've been looking at here. In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. You know, we're, we're going to kind of pick that up next week too and we're gonna we're gonna look at that so that's kind of where we'll start but i want us to, to end at this note here too because jesus is saying to his own disciples right here he's looking out at this group that's alive during his day and he's saying look some of you are going to see something powerful happen with the kingdom of god before you die something was happening during the life of jesus that's what this gospel is about that that jesus was bringing in these, these new things through him. We need to pay attention to what happened about the kingdom of God during the days of Jesus. Because that's also the message that Jesus was preaching at the beginning. Repent for the kingdom has come. The, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here in our midst. And he was proclaiming that to that group of people that was in his own midst there. He's saying, look, the kingdom is here. And next week, we'll kind of take a look at what that kingdom is. We'll kind of pick some of those ideas up and, and, and learn a little bit more about that kingdom of God. And really, this whole book, and it's kind of hard just to say just, just one passage is talking about the kingdom of God, because really, this whole book and all these gospels are telling us this message about the kingdom of God and how it has come into the world. We'll pick back up there next week. Thank you very much for your attention. And now, congratulations. We are halfway through the book of Mark. Let's make sure that we stick with this study because there's a lot more that we can learn uh, throughout the rest of Mark's gospel.